Hello and welcome to Grace Life Rondebosch, a church situated in Cape Town, South Africa. We pray that this teaching will awaken your heart to the reality of Christianity, which is Christ in you, and that this will result in increased fruitfulness in your life. We've been busy with the, 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 the letter to the, the church of Ephesus, so we're going to get into that this evening. So you guys can open up in Ephesians chapter 1. And we're just going to kind of uh, just jump in from where we kind of left off last week and just uh, backtrack a little bit. So we're going to jump in from verse 15. And this is really a, a closing to this first chapter. And Paul, the writer of this letter, is closing with a specific prayer. And this prayer is powerful. If you think about um, a letter that is written to a church, and there's only one letter that's going to be written to this church, to the Ephesians, and he's, and he's writing a letter, you, you would kind of want to take note of when he prays something, what is this prayer about? Like, he's, he's got one opportunity to, to speak a specific prayer, to release a specific prayer over them. You'd think like, it would be quite important to take note of what is he praying over this church. Because what he's praying over this church is significant, and it's still significant for us today to look at these, these, uh, these words that he's speaking, these, this, this, these words that he's releasing in prayer over this church. And let's jump down, verse 15, Ephesians chapter 1. Ever since I heard, heard, first heard of your strong faith, so this is just building up to, to the prayer. Ever since I heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. And then we, we're going to get into the prayer, but there's already so much in you. And first he's, he's talking about, I've heard of something. Something has, has gone before you. I've heard of your strong faith and your love for one another. Now isn't that awesome? He's heard of their strong faith and he's heard of their love for one another. But what was their strong faith built upon? Because we kind of often get, get uh, in this topic of faith and it's like, man, that person had strong faith for healing. That person had strong faith for breakthrough in their, their business. That person had strong faith for you fill in the blank. But this church, what they were exhorted for was strong faith in the Lord Jesus. Now that is significant. Maybe you thought like, oh, that's, that's just kind of faith, right? That's just faith. But this faith is the faith of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is an encouragement for us to take note of that God isn't calling us to have strong faith for... I don't want to use examples now because maybe you are having strong faith for something specific. But Paul is encouraging specifically. And there's a time and place to be expectant for good things in your life. But what Paul is encouraging the church here and exhorting them for is strong faith in the Lord Jesus. His Lordship, what He accomplished for us. And we see that throughout the epistles of Paul, he's always emphasizing a specific point. He's emphasizing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am not ashamed, Romans. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. It is the power of God to change lives, to change generations, to change nations. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a specific message. The gospel isn't a genre of music. 
The gospel is the message of Jesus Christ coming to die for the sins of the world, making a way for man to receive the Spirit of God and be united with Him in unbroken fellowship. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what the world can experience. Oneness with God, union with God. And He's exhorting them for this. Their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all of God's people. Love for one another. Now, a good question to ask at this moment is, how does one have this kind of faith? How does one have this kind of love for one another? How can I have someone else write a letter about my love for my fellow man? How do we get to that place of people talking about Etienne's strong faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? How do we get there? That's a good question to ask, right? Like Because I'm pretty sure you want to be that guy. You want to be part of that church which people talk about that they had a strong faith in the Lord Jesus and that they had a love for one another. How do we get there? I'm glad you guys asked the question. Galatians chapter 5 verse 6 says, When you're placed into the anointed one and joined to him, circumcision and religious obligations can benefit you nothing. All that matters now is living in the faith that is activated and brought to perfection by love. That's beautiful. Activated and brought to perfection by love. What love? Not your love for God. Not your, it's not just an a, a airy-fairy type of love. It is the agape love of God that you experience, that you see, that you come to know, that is going to bring about a strong faith, that is going to bring about an activation of faith. That is going to lead you to live a life that is radical. That's going to lead you to live a life that other people are going to see. Other people are going to witness. And they're going to testify about that. I don't need to go and by my effort and by my by religious thinking go and be a better person out there in the world. That is not how God motivates us. He doesn't motivate us by fear. He doesn't motivate us by, by rules and regulations. His motivation comes by love. We see this in, later on in Galatians chapter 5 when we look at the fruit of the Spirit. The passion really uh, paints this beautifully for us in verse 22. And it says, But the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all its varied expressions. Joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness and action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart, a strength of spirit never set the law above these qualities for they are meant to be limitless the fruit produced by the spirit within you it's just coming to know what is inside of you it's coming to know the root because that is how change comes change doesn't come by looking at someone else and saying like ah oh, i want to be like etienne that's not how change comes you can identify something in me and be like man that's pretty awesome and I'm sure there are a few things that you can think of that's pretty awesome about me. <laughs> oh man, I love making jokes and like maybe you don't know me, you're thinking I'm vain right now. Uh, but there's a song about Ben actually and uh, him being vain. Um, this is another joke. Let's, let's, get, let's get back to the word. Um, some of you are too young to, to know what song I'm talking about right now. Um, but it's really awesome. The fruit produced. So the fruit is produced. Fruit is something that is born from the root system. Your root system changed when you received Christ. There's nothing else in this world. There's no religion in this world that changes a spirit. It's only through 
God through Christianity, through faith in Jesus Christ, that we receive the Spirit of God Almighty living inside of us. And that Spirit, that root system, that changed nature has got the potential to live out all of His fruit. But it's divine love in all its varied expressions. Love expresses itself in joy. Love expresses itself in peace, patience, and all of the others. Faith is activated and brought to perfection by love. And that is how we're going to be people who other people are going to write about or talk about for our great love and our great faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we get into the prayer, verse 17. It says, For I always pray to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that He may grant you a spirit of wisdom and revelation, of insight into mysteries and secrets, in the deep and intimate knowledge of Him, by having the eyes of your heart flooded with light, so that you can know and understand the hope to which He has called you, and how rich is His glorious inheritance in the saints, He set apart ones. And so that you can know and understand what is the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of His power in us and for us who believe, as demonstrated in the working of His mighty strength. Now let's pause there quickly because that's, that's kind of the, the end of this prayer and then he builds on a few other thoughts. And so what is Paul praying here? Just in short, in summary, what is he praying here? What is he emphasizing? What is he speaking over this church? What is he praying to God for about this church? He's praying for wisdom and revelation. Wisdom for what? Wisdom to be a better businessman? Wisdom to be a better father? Wisdom to be a better husband? It's good to be a better husband and the wives nudge their husbands. <laughs> it's, there's, there's a time and place for that wisdom to manifest, but that is always going to come from something. Guess what? It's not going to come from you reading a book, unless it's the Bible. Because the Bible in the New Testament and the epistles specifically is making known the mystery that has been hidden for generations. And that is what Paul's prayer is here. And he's praying for wisdom and revelation of intimate knowledge. Intimate knowledge of what? Intimate knowledge of God, of Jesus Christ, and our union that we share with Him. Because it's in that intimacy that we get to bear fruit. As a husband and wife comes together, before they can have children, there needs to be intimacy. We're not going to get into biology this evening. Praise God. You can ask Ben about that if you're unsure about anything. It's the doctor. But it's in intimacy, intimate knowledge and understanding. And this word knowledge is not just kind of a, hey, like I know your name and maybe I know your birthday, where you stay or anything like that. But it's talking about an intimate relationship. In the, in the word in Genesis, it talks about Adam knew Eve, the word knowing. That word knowing was referring to intimacy. Adam knew Eve. And she bore a child. So this word knowing God and what Paul is praying for, wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ is significant and that is what we need to come to know. Knowledge of Him. Knowledge of Jesus Christ. Who He is. What He accomplished for us and what that means for us today. And then he prayed for hearts to be flooded with light. Now Shane talked about this a little bit last week. Flooded with light. 
when this room is flooded with light and it's partially flooded with light, meaning that there's still some shadows in this room. But if this room is properly flooded with light, there won't be any shadows. So Paul is praying for their hearts to be flooded with light so that there would be no longer any shadows. We see this in Colossians. He also writes to the church in Colossians chapter 2 and he gets and he builds this picture of there were shadows, there were types and shadows in the Old Testament, but those types and shadows are fulfilled and find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ, the reality. Colossians chapter 2 verse 16 and 17. And so it's important for us to realize that Paul is praying for hearts to be flooded with light. And that's also a picture of, of nakedness. What do I mean? No shame. No condemnation. You don't need to hide anything. And that's a beautiful thing about every Grace Life community. It's a community of openness. Come as you are. Don't hide your flaws. Don't kind of come and pretend as if you're this, this perfect Christian that's got the act together. No, let's be open with one another. Let's be vulnerable with one another. Let's, let's have the, the light of God shine upon us so that we can embrace one another. Stand in agreement with one another. Pray into one another's lives. That's the body ministering to one another. When one member is struggling, all of us are struggling. When one marriage is struggling, the family is going to feel that. So let's be vulnerable with one another. Paul is praying for a light to be flooded in their hearts. Because he knew and he understood that the heart is such an important aspect of our lives. Because that's where our belief system is rooted. And Proverbs is full of uh, passage of Scripture 23 um, that uh, 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 as a man thinks in his heart, it so is he. And 4 verse 23 also talks about, uh, um, or 4 verse 23 or 27, uh, talks about uh, out of the issues of the heart flows the life. Or I'm paraphrasing horrible now. Um, but uh, life is spring, sp- uh, brought forth from the heart. So whatever you think and believe about yourself, about Jesus Christ, His nature, His character, that will overflow into you living in a specific way. So Paul is praying for this, praying for their hearts to be flooded with light, no shadows, no, uh, uh, an openness. And then he's also praying for this knowing and an understanding again. This word comes up, knowing and understanding the hope to which you were called and the richness of our inheritance. We've been called to something. Every person on the face of the earth has been called to something. Now some people think that my calling is to be a pastor or my calling is to be a doctor or my calling is to be, you fill in the blank, a teacher. That is not your primary calling. That is an outflowing. That should be an outflowing of your primary calling. Our primary calling on earth here is to have fellowship with the Father who created us. From the beginning of time, God's heart was to have communion with man, to have fellowship with us, His sons and daughters. And when you come to know the Father, when you come to know your sonship and your daughtership, I know that's not a word, when you come to know that, then you can effectively step into your calling as a doctor, as a teacher, as a whatever you might feel called to and feel gifted for. But until you step into that place and you focus and you major on your primary calling as a son, a child of God, to have the Spirit of Him living inside of you, until you come to that place, you'll always be limited in your earthly calling and how you're living that out, in your vocation. So Paul is praying for this. 
that you would know the calling, the hope to which you were called and the riches of our inheritance. Colossians 1 verse 12 to 13 is talking about this inheritance because it's not money. Giving thanks unto the Father which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. That is the picture of salvation translated from a kingdom of darkness and transferred, ushered into a kingdom of His Son. That is our inheritance that we get to share with one another. There's a union that we share with the Father. It's perfect. It's unbroken. But then there's also a union that we get to share with one another this evening. And some of us are missing out on this union. The people who didn't come this evening, they're missing out on this union that we are sharing this evening. The ministry of the Holy Spirit. Even after this time together. The Holy Spirit is ministering to you right now. But even after this time together, we're going to be able to fellowship with one another. When we get to do life with one another. And you, maybe, maybe you meet someone new this evening. And God lays a word on your heart for that individual. Maybe He's laying a word on your heart for someone who didn't come. And that's also awesome. Praise God. Please uh, be open to hear from the Spirit for those who didn't come this evening. Because maybe there's something that happened and they couldn't make it. But we are going to be more mindful and focus on the people that we're meeting here this evening and that we get to see, that we get to rub shoulders with. Trying to keep the shoulder rubbing to a, a minimum, please. <laughs> um, but it's so, it's so awesome to, to know that there's a, there's a union that we share. And the, the union is based on this inheritance that we've got, which is the Spirit of God that has been promised from the beginning of time. And then Paul is also praying for unlimited and surpassing greatness of His power in us and for us. That's awesome. Unlimited and surpassing greatness of His power in us and for us. That is the Spirit of God Almighty living in us. And that Spirit is wanting to live through us as well. Acts 1 verse 8 talks about this power. And, and you receive the Holy Spirit and that uh, is talking about, and when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive power. And that power isn't for you to kind of just uh, go around singing the song, I've got the power. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> it's the, the power of God is there intended to, to bring about a specific ministry, to bring about change in your life. So that that power isn't just something that you're kind of having goosebumps about, but that power is actually leading to a fruitfulness that other people can testify about. This is God's heart for us. And Paul was praying this prayer from his heart, knowing that, man, if I'm going to pray a specific prayer over this church, I'm going to focus on these things. Because as we focus on these things, this changes everything. It changes everything when we come to know and understand Jesus Christ, His love for us. When we have our hearts flooded with light, there's no more shadows. There's perfect union. We get to see and enjoy Jesus face to face. There's no veil. But we get to experience Him face to face. Without any shame, guilt or fear. Because of everything that Jesus did for us. Then getting into verse 20 um, and 21, it says which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His own right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, above every title that can be conferred, not only in this age and in this world, but also in the age and the world which are to come. What is the point of all of this? Jesus is King. He's overcome. 
He's seated. He's not striving. He's not working. He's poured out His Spirit and now we get to work with the power of God inside of us and have that manifestation here on earth. Now maybe some of us are wondering, man, I haven't seen this, this power. I haven't seen this manifestation. I haven't seen the works of Jesus as we see it in the Gospels. We haven't, we haven't seen maybe the signs and the wonders and things like that as we see in the Word. But the awesome thing is I, I had this chat with someone else recently and they said like uh, they recently came across this one testimony, a healing testimony, a miracle that they've never heard about someone being healed of this specific disease, this specific sickness. Now I just encourage them. There are parts of this world that doesn't have technology as we have today. They don't have smartphones. Can you imagine that? That there are still parts of this world that doesn't necessarily have a smartphone or signal where they can whip out a phone and be like, let's record this testimony quickly, this miracle. Like that's just a small part of it. Not every miracle, every healing, any man- every manifestation of God's power in all of time has been recorded with a smartphone and loaded onto the media, onto the web. Like, I know some of you are shocked. I can imagine that. <laughs> that was just like a, something that just dawned on me. They were like, so like, Man, I can't believe that this has actually happened. I'm pretty sure there are hundreds more of those testimonies that just never got recorded and uploaded onto, onto the web. Maybe that's a word for someone and blessing someone right now. But just because we haven't seen these things doesn't mean that they're not taking place. They're not happening. Healings, miracles, these things are happening all around us, but we're, not just, we're just not necessarily aware of them. And if you want to see that manifestation in your life, you don't need to strive at it. You just need to come to know Jesus Christ and His power that is readily available inside of you. And deal with condemnation because that's a killer of faith. Condemnation will kill your faith. It will prevent you from doing anything, feeling worthy to be used by God. Because that's what the word condemnation means at the root. It's feeling unfit for use. When this building is condemned, or if it was condemned, we wouldn't be able to use this building. It's unfit for use. And so many believers today, because they don't know the work of Christ Jesus, they're feeling condemned. They're feeling unfit for use. They're not realizing that they're one with God. That His Spirit will never leave us nor forsake us. That God is so in love with us regardless of anything that we've ever done or haven't done. I know it sounds strange and it sounds ridiculous because we want to we want to put a, a label on God's love based on the love that we've experienced on earth. And maybe you've experienced some, some failings in relationships. Maybe your father or your mother isn't all that perfect. And so we kind of project that picture of love onto God when we read the word love. But that's not God's kind of love. There's no limit to God's love for you. No limit means no limit. It's unconditional. No terms and conditions apply. We don't, we don't understand that. That's why we need to have the Holy Spirit show us this. The depth of this love. The intensity of this love. Verse 22 and 23 says, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made Him head over all things for the benefit of the church. That's beautiful. It's for the benefit of the church. That's all of us. And the church is His body. It is made full and complete by Christ. Who fills all things everywhere with themselves. This is beautiful. Last week, I can't remember if it was last week or the week before, I ministered on this at, at Tigerberg. 
this picture of completeness that God's Word is talking about that we have in Christ. And it's powerful. We need to come to know this completeness. You are not incomplete. If you've got the Spirit of God living inside of you, you are as complete as you'll ever be. Maybe you're feeling incomplete, but your feelings, imagine this, your feelings could be a lie. Your feelings could be based on a false reality, a false truth. That is why we need to get into the Word of God and come to know the reality of Christ inside of us. Because you are more a spiritual being than you are a physical being. Your body is decaying, so to speak. Now, I'm not prophesying death over you, but how you're looking today is different to how you looked 20 years ago. And if you're not 20, year, 20 years of age yet, then how you looked five years ago. <laughs> so your body is changing. But the Spirit of God inside of you never changes. It is perfect. It is complete. So he's finishing off this chapter and he's, he's talking about this, this picture of completeness that we have in Christ. Then we get into chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. And it says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Just going to pause there quickly. So in verse 1, we already see this picture of disobedience. And then there's this picture of not obeying God. That's ultimately obedience to God. Another word for obedience is surrender. Obedience to God, surrender to God. That is really what faith is. Faith is believing that God is who He says He is. Disobedience would be to come against that. To come against the truth of who God is. What He says about you. That is really so simple that when we see who God is, it would be easy to obey. When God calls you to do something and you know he, who He is, you know His voice, you know that He won't call you to do something that is not going to be a benefit to you, a blessing to you. It is easy to obey. It's easy to have faith in that which He calls us to when we know who He is. So obedience to God, obeying God is really just believing, having faith in who He is. That is what Adam and Eve's disobedience to God in the garden was, not believing that God was good. They doubted in the goodness of God. And that led to disobedience. That led them not to obey God's instruction to eat of every tree in the garden except the one tree. Imagine they ate of every tree in the garden. They would have eventually eaten of the tree of eternal life and lived forever in perfect union with God. But they disobeyed. And that disobedience was just a picture, was just a belief that God was withholding something from them. That God didn't create them perfect. That God didn't really create them in His image when He did. How do we know that? Because it's recorded in the Word. As Ben says, building our lives upon the Word of God. Verse 3. All of us used to live that way, following the passion, desires, and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. Now the awesome thing is that our nature has changed. When you receive the Spirit of God, you receive a new nature. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says that he that, is a, 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 he that believes on Christ, who is become, 
<laughs> the, the scriptures are just failing me this evening. Paraphrasing. Anyone who's joined to Christ is a new creature, is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That is who, there's, a, there's been a change in nature. There's been a change in your fiber, in your DNA. This is the reality of the Christian life, that you are no longer a sinner. Yes, you heard that in church. You are a saint. You are a holy one. That is what my Bible says. If you receive the Spirit of God, you are no longer a sinner. You might do sinful things, but that doesn't define your nature. When you come to know your nature, your identity in Christ, how holy you are, how united you are to the Spirit of God, guess what? That's going to overflow into you living righteously. It's going to change your fruit. But the devil has worked within the Christian church so much and has, has, uh, has just put so much emphasis on the do Christian life. On the, you have to do this, you have to do that, you need to stop this, you need to stop that. Without giving people an understanding, what Paul is praying for, understanding your intimacy with the Father, understanding the Spirit of God living inside of you, understanding your unbroken communion with the Father, understanding this power that is in you to, by love, manifest all of these amazing fruit. This is what God's heart is for us as a church and has been from the beginning of time as to have unbroken fellowship with us, communion with us, 24-7. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. That is His promise. Our nature has changed. Verse 4 says, But God so rich is He in mercy. This is awesome. But God, so just said this was a nature problem, but God so rich in His mercy because of and in order to satisfy the great and wonderful and intense love with which He loved us. This is beautiful. God demonstrated. He wanted to make known the intensity of His love for us. In Romans 5 verse 8, the easy to read version says, But Christ died for us while we were still sinners, and by this God showed how much He loved us. While we are sinners. Some translations talk about while, we, while you were still enemies of God. While you were enemies of God, Jesus Christ came to die for the ungodly. Before you could even think about doing anything good for God, He's made known His love for you through His Son Jesus. 1 John 4.19 We love Him because He first loved us. Man, if you want to grow in your life for God, get to know His life for you. Don't be like Peter before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit where he declared his, his, his unchanging love to Jesus. Jesus, I'll love you to the end. Jesus, I'm going to be there. Some people are going to leave you, forsake you, but I'm going to be there. Not me, Jesus. I'm, I'm going to be your guy. Right hand guy. What happened to, to Peter when he boasted about his love for God? What happened to Peter? Deny Jesus three times. But guess what happened? He received the Spirit of God and he realized that it's not about my love for God, it's about his love for me. And John the disciple knew this and he wrote about himself saying, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. When we come to know Jesus' love for us, it's going to lead to a life of just radical love for God. 
radical love for the people around us. We love Him because He first loved us. Verse 5 says, Even when we were dead, slain by our own shortcomings and trespasses, He made us alive together in fellowship and in union with Christ. He's made us alive together in fellowship and in union with Christ. He gave us the very life of Christ Himself. The same new life with which He quickened Him. For it is by grace, His favor and mercy, which you did not deserve, that you are saved, delivered from judgment, and made partakers of Christ's salvation. Man, that's awesome. That is, you can just read this verse tonight before you go to bed. Ask the Holy Spirit to, to show you, to, to, to just give you a picture, an uh, uh, illumination of this truth. Being made alive together in fellowship, in communion, in union with Christ. We didn't deserve this. But we've been delivered from judgment and made partakers of Christ's salvation. Of Christ's victory. We are partakers of that. This is powerful stuff. In Romans 6 we, we see this picture. Verse 10 to 11 says... For by the death He died, talking about Jesus, He died to sin, ending His relation to it once for all. And the life that He lives, He is living to God in unbroken fellowship with Him. Even so, consider yourselves. We need to consider ourselves. What? We need to consider ourselves also dead to sin and our relation to it broken, but alive to God, living in unbroken fellowship with Him in Christ Jesus. This is awesome. Maybe you're struggling with sin. This isn't a word of knowledge. This is just a general word. Maybe you're struggling with a specific sin, a specific addiction. Guess what? You have maybe thought that that sin has got power over you. That that addiction has got power over you. That is not my, what my Bible is saying here, guys. My Bible says that we need to consider ourselves dead to that sin and our relation to it broken. As Jesus Christ overcame death, He no longer needs to overcome death. It's a done deal. It is finished. And in that same way, consider yourself dead to sin. Your relation to it broken. Why? Because your nature has changed. You're no longer a sinner by nature. You are born again, a child of God, righteous, holy, and blameless. Now this is something we need to come to know, to come to understand. We need the Spirit of God to show us. And this morning was a, a message of, of unveiling. Because oftentimes we've, we've received the Spirit of God and there's, there's been a, 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 an unveiling that has happened in our spirit, so to speak. But as believers, we can still read and study the Word of God through a specific lens. Maybe you've read the Word before and... Um, ten years ago, you're reading, you, how you're reading the Word today is different to maybe how you read it ten years ago. What changed? Your perspective. Your view of things. When we first came to know, when I first came to know the, the message of grace, God's unmerited love and favor, I've never seen it or heard about it like that. And so when I approached the Word of God, it was different up until that point. There was an unveiling that happened. But that unveiling didn't make grace manifest. Grace was always there. 
When some of the, the, the world's well-known grace uh, uh, preachers today, Andrew Womack, Joseph Prince, uh, these guys, when they started ministering on grace, they didn't make grace manifest. They just unveiled the body of Christ to the message of grace. And there's a message that is being unveiled within the body of Christ today, which is talking about this union that we have in Christ. And that there's no longer any need for any form of shadow whatsoever. Any form of ritual whatsoever to make us have relationship with God. But we can enjoy perfect relationship with our Heavenly Father. Face to face. Like I'm enjoying relationship with Ben. I don't need something between us. I don't need to bring something into this equation to have me enjoy relationship with Him more perfectly. And it's the same for us in Jesus. And we believe and we're trusting as a family of God, as a ministry, that as we're ministering this unveiling, as we're ministering a shining light, uh, uh, having the light of God shed upon our hearts so there's no more shadows, we're going to see Jesus clearer face to face. And as we behold Him, uh, Michael um, read the scripture files in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. As we behold in the mirror, as we see in the mirror the image of God, the glory of God, the glory of God in the saints, He's spread inside of us that inheritance. As we come to know that fully, perfectly, without any shadow, without any distraction, without any distorted picture, we're going to be transfigured and transformed into that same image of glory from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. The reality is already there. The glory of God manifests in you. But we want that to come out. And that's going to come out the more we see Jesus face to face, clear, without any distractions, without any shadows. So this message and, and that, that unveiling that is happening, so to speak, in the body of Christ currently, it's not a new thing. Maybe it's strange, maybe it's different, maybe you haven't heard it before. But in Hebrews chapter 13, Paul is writing about strange doctrines. Now guess what, when, when Andrew Ormack started ministering on grace, some people thought it was a strange doctrine. When Joseph Prince started ministering grace, some people thought it was a strange doctrine. But what is a strange doctrine? Hebrews 13 Verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Verse 9, be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines, for it's good that the heart be established with grace, not with meats which have no pro not profited them that have been occupied therein. A strange doctrine, verse 8, is anything that is pulling away from Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is what a strange doctrine is. It's not something you haven't heard before. It's strange when it's pulling away from Jesus. When grace came on the scene through, through Andrew Ormack, I'm just using him and Joseph as examples because they're well-known examples in the Christian church. Um, when they came out with the message of grace, started ministering that, it was strange to some people because they haven't heard it before. But it wasn't strange in accordance with the word and the definition of strange in Hebrews 13 verse 8. Because it was in line with Jesus. It was painting this picture of Jesus. And today as well, let's 
interpret and let's define what is a strange doctrine, not by something we haven't heard before, but by something that is not edifying, magnifying Jesus. Verse 6 and verse 7. And He raised us up together with Him. That's awesome. He didn't just raise Jesus. He raised us up together with Him and made us sit down together, giving us joint seating with Him in the heavenly sphere by virtue of our being in Christ Jesus the Messiah, the Anointed One. Man, there's, there's, there's so much depth to, to this truth that when we're walking on earth and, and we when we focused on just our everyday steps and having to go to work tomorrow, having bills to, to be paid, all of these things, like when, we, when we're caught up in the natural and the carnal of this world, it's very difficult to fathom this. It's very difficult to, 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 to take hold of these truths. And that's why we can't just read the Word by and by like, okay, cool, five minutes, boom, boom, let's carry on with my day. That's not the, the invitation from God. The invitation from God is to become well acquainted with, become students of His Word, so that we can rightly divide the Word of truth. Because guess what? When we rightly divide the Word of truth, there's going to be more of a manifestation of the sons of God on earth. There's going to be more of a, a rising of the sons of God on earth when we come to know the Word of God, knowing Jesus Christ who is the Word more clearly, more fully. So when we read verses like these, we need to really stop, pause, allow the Holy Spirit to just, just cement these truths in our hearts. Just pause and just pray in the Spirit. As we're praying in the Spirit, we're allowing the Spirit to minister to us, minister to our souls, minister to our hearts, and even give us a clearer picture of what these things mean for us. We can experience the love of God in that moment, and that is going to lead to so much fruitfulness in our days. Verse 7, He did this that He might clearly demonstrate through the ages to come the immeasurable, limitless, surpassing riches of His free grace, unmerited favor, in His kindness and goodness of heart towards us in Christ Jesus. Again, He demonstrated this. He showed this to us. And then verse 8 and 9. For it is by grace, God's unmerited favor, that you are saved, delivered from judgments and made partakers of Christ Jesus, His salvation, through your faith. And this salvation is not of yourselves, your own doing. It came not through your own striving, but it's the gift of God. Not because of works, not the fulfillment of law's demands, lest any man should boast. It is not the result of what anyone can possibly do, so no one can pride himself in it or take glory to himself. This is awesome. By grace through faith, it's a gift from God. We can't work for this thing. We are not saved to serve either, guys. You're saved for relationship. And when you focus on relationship and you receive from the Father, you wanna, you're going to want to be a partaker of the family business. You don't have to serve God. You get to serve Him. You get to be a partaker with Him in the family business. We not... We don't want anyone to, to come to church and feel like they need to serve. They need to do this. Man, we're going to love upon you. 
You can be a consumer in that seat. You can just come and be refreshed here. We're going to love upon you. We're going to minister the word of God to you. And eventually there will be an overflow in your life. And I know all of us, our schedules and things look different. So maybe you're serving the bride of Christ in a different way. But then it's always an invitation. That invitation comes with an aroma of love. A sense of love. Never comes with religious duty. Because we've been set free from religious duty. We're invited into family, into relationship with God. We are saved by grace through faith. We can't work for this. No one can work for this. It's not by good deeds that we are saved. It's not by, by good moral standards that we are right with God. Romans 3 verse 23 clearly just kind of levels the playing field. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. God's glorious standard is so high that no human being would ever be able to attain to that. It is impossible. Not the, 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 the greatest person ever in the face of history. No Mother Teresa, no other good person I don't even know <laughs> what the good people are in the world because like, man, in my union with Jesus, I'm, I'm it. I'm it. Because my boasting is not in what I do. My boasting is in what Jesus has done for me. And guess what? The more I come to know that, the more I enjoy that, the more it overflows into me being such a blessing to my community and the people around me. Closing with verse 10. From the King James, we'll read from just three different translations. Your King James, NRT, and the, the Passion. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. The NRT says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things He has planned for us long ago. The passion. We have become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we should do to fulfill it. Now there's there's something specific in all of these verses that I want to kind of just illuminate and I'll just kind of throw them all together and just mix them up together. Firstly, we are God's workmanship. We are His masterpiece, His poetry. He is the poet. He is the worker. So the things that God has called you to work and to do is also the empowering for you to do those things. It's not a burden to do the things that God has called us to do. It's a joy when you do it with the understanding that He's the worker. It's His working inside of us. It's His Holy Spirit inside of us that is the working, that is the driving force. And that driving force is fueled by love. Galatians 5, 6, Faith works by love. And this is beautiful. He has created us anew in Christ. God has before ordained that we should walk in them. This is beautiful. From the beginning of time, this is God's desire for man to live in union with Him. Perfect, unbroken fellowship. 
with God the Father. If you're ever in the Cape Town area, we want to invite you to come fellowship with us at one of our life groups or Sunday gatherings. You can find out more about Grace Life Rondebosch via email at info at gracelife.co or check us out on our Facebook page, Grace Life Rondebosch.